0: welcome to the 7th episode of the Curly W Live podcast. As a reminder, you can always find the podcast on our blog, Curly W Live, which is curlyw.mlblogs.com, nationals.com slash podcasts, and on iTunes. Search Curly W Live. So on episode 7, we merge baseball and business a little bit. Uh, First, we checked in with Dave Jagler, one of the radio voices of the Washington Nationals. Uh, You know, we talked to Charlie Slows on episode 1 way back in spring training, so it is about time we have Dave on the podcast. We talked to Dave about his career path, joining the Nationals in 2006, uh, his game day preparation, uh, and some of his favorite moments in Nationals history. Uh, Our second interview is with Mike Carney, the Executive Director of Business Strategy and Analytics for the Nationals. And this was a really interesting conversation about how analytics impact our business strategy. Uh, There's always a lot of talk in baseball about analytics when it comes to baseball operations, scouting, coaching, etc. So it was cool to check in with Mike about how analytics play a role into Washington's business operation. We talked about the team store, uh, the authentication process, uh, the ballpark app, which is available on your phones. And we talked about some other uh, postseason related items. So. Here it is, episode 7 of the Curly W Live podcast featuring Dave Jagler and Mike Carney. And we are here at the Curly W Live studios high above Nationals Park in the press box. And today we are joined by one of the radio voices of the Washington Nationals, uh, Dave Jagler, who is in his 12th season with the Nationals. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Dave. Well, Kyle, it's a pleasure. It's late in the season. You must be running out of ideas. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we talked to Charlie on the first podcast, so we had to get that one out of the way. Um, <laughs> But now that we're entering the postseason, I thought it would be a good time to check in with the, uh, the other half of our radio team that uh, Nationals fans have come to know and love over the years. The other half. Yeah, that's the key. <laughs> the, the other. Yeah, I'll, I'm not, I'll 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 not like call calling one the better or one the there worse. There you go. That's, that's good. <laughs> um, so I want to jump into this. Um, you know, we talk a lot about career path, preparation, um, you know, what, what happens for you in game, uh, before the game, after the game, and how you put together a broadcast. So um, I guess we'll start first with your career path. You're um, a proud Syracuse alum. Um, Did some play-by-play for circus football and basketball, but, you know, after graduation and, um, you know, from a baseball perspective, obviously you did a lot of other, a lot of things in the radio and sports industry, but from a baseball perspective, um, you know, you worked your way up uh, with the Charlotte Knights, Pawtucket Red Sox before joining the Nationals in 2006. Um, and the rest has been history, you could say.
1: Yeah, it's, it's been an, an interesting path. I mean, I, I tell the story when I, when I do different speaking engagements, and it always gets a, a pretty good laugh. I mean, my, my baseball play-by-play career started actually when I was in high school, and I was playing left field <laughs> at uh, in high school for in Windsor, Connecticut, and I was the, the starting left fielder. And, you know, I, I knew I wasn't going to play left field at, at Fenway Park in front of the <laughs> Green Monster for my beloved Red Sox, but, you know, I, I knew I wanted to do this. I mean, I, I wanted to be – a play-by-play guy and I wanted to be that way since I was 10 years old so you know what's the best way to prepare yourself well to practice Mm -hmm. so hey I'm I'm playing in a baseball game (laughs) so let me do some play-by-play I'm out here in the outfield nothing's happening so I'm I'm talking to myself doing the play-by-play which was always good until the ball was hit to me (laughs) and then the broadcast would get interrupted so uh, I'm one of a a fairly number small I mean anyone who's out on the field probably dreamed of being a major league baseball player but in the general population in in any everyday walk of life most people do something differently uh, or doing something different than they probably thought they were going to be doing when they were growing up but I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do so uh, at, at Syracuse it was a great opportunity uh, they're known for, for two things, uh, for, for basketball and for, for broadcasters, mm-hmm. maybe not in that order. I mean, uh, when <laughs> I was on there, the year. <laughs> yeah, it depends on the year. Uh, but that's why Jim Beheim gets great press. Cause right. all, all the media guys went to Syracuse. <laughs> so we, all, we all love him. But, uh, I mean, th- that was a great training ground for me. Um, when I was a, a freshman, uh, the, the person who was critiquing my tapes, uh, to get on the air at the student radio station was Ian Eagle. Who's now oh, wow. a, a superstar at, at CBS football and college basketball. And I had a chance to intern with Mike Tirico, who's one of the top probably three sportscasters in the country right now. So, I mean, it was a tremendous uh, learning experience. And, you know, from there, I just kind of worked uh, in different uh, radio environments. If you if you use the baseball parallel, I kind of started in in low A after mm-hmm. graduation. I went to Morgantown, West Virginia, worked in a small market doing a lot of di- different things, and then I kind of moved up mm-hmm. a level to Charlotte, mm-hmm. and then moved up to, to Boston. And ultimately, uh, I wanted to do play by play on a full time basis, and so that opportunity finally came about in two thousand and five when I joined the Pawtucket Red Sox, mm-hmm. and uh, and kind of you know hopped off the the radio path and into baseball play by play. And so that, that year at AAA, fortunately for me, was, turned out to be one year. I was kind of right. like a player. I got the call up to the big leagues in 2006 mm-hmm. and joined Charlie the second year with the Nationals.
0: And what do you remember about the transition in 2006 to coming to D.C.? It was still a young team, um, learning a new partner, getting to know a new partner. What was that transition like for you? Well, the, the first event I ever did
1: um, was a, um, a winter caravan. Mm-hmm. It was after the first season, and it was, it was Ryan Zimmerman, it was Jose Guillen. It was Tony Beasley who was the third base coach, and, uh, and Brandon Watson, I think, was there. It was kind of a and Brian Schneider. It was kind of a mix of, of different players. And I, I remember uh, doing an event um, over at a sports bar, I think in, in in Crystal City or in Pentagon City, and the and the place was jammed. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, you know there were folks lined up out the door, and it, I'm like, man, th- these people are are hungry. For baseball, because the first season happened, and then there was kind of a, an interesting transition where, uh, you know, MLB still owned the team, the Learners hadn't taken over yet, and there was a, a question about the ballpark. Like, was the ballpark actually going to get passed right. in the in the city council? And so not a lot of marketing was happening with the team in between the 05 and the 06 mm-hmm. season but when the when the winter caravan happened it was like all right you know baseball's Let's back go go and there was a real excitement that that really captured me i, I was very impressed mm-hmm. it was my first taste and here i was on this caravan no one knew who i was <laughs> well, who's this guy you know he's never been on the air before at least charlie had had done the 2005 right. season and had been in the market before but uh, i had never met charlie until that winter caravan mm-hmm. and and you know charlie he can he can talk a little bit and so you know we spent uh You know, the the hours and hours over Mm -hmm. that whatever three or four day event it was getting to know each other. He did most of the talking, as you would expect. And, (laughs) uh, you know, that was a pretty good uh, opportunity to at least build some off-air chemistry. Mm -hmm. We come together in the first spring training in 2006 in Vieira, and we kind of hit the ground running. I mean, there was never a lot of jumping over each other, Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of the worst thing in any two-man broadcast is when you're both trying to talk at the same time. So the chemistry, I think, flowed pretty easily. The the challenge of that 2006 season, and ultimately 07, 08, 09, was the team on the field wasn't wasn't great as far as wins and losses. Mm -hmm. So uh, early on in that first season, we kind of made a – it might have been over a a beverage one night after a game (laughs) in some road city. We're kind of like, you know – we've got to try to keep these broadcasts uplifting and entertaining. Right. You know, even if the, you know, even if we're 20 games under 500 mm-hmm. and, and we kind of decided, hey, you know, let, let's have some fun with this. And, and that's where our, our, our banter and our mm-hmm. crosstalk kind of developed. And, and that's something we've carried on through the years. We don't have to do as much of it now because the team's been mm-hmm. so good. And, if the, you know, if the games are close, we're not going to clown around a lot. But right. If you get that, that blowout game, we still can revert back <laughs> to the the 2008
0: vintage when we were trying to fill three hours every right. night. Um, You mentioned it earlier when you talked about Syracuse, but maybe even go back to your high school days, but was there um, any broadcaster that you kind of molded your style after or someone um, that you knew that you learned or you got to know over the years that you considered a mentor? Well, I think, you know, you kind of
1: take – Take something from everyone you, you listened to growing up. And uh, growing up as, as a Red Sox fan in New England, there were terrific broadcasters mm-hmm. on the radio, Ken Coleman and Joe Castiglione. Joe is still there mm-hmm. as the lead guy for the Red Sox. And on television, Ned Martin, who was replaced by Sean McDonough, who I had the pleasure of working with in, in Boston. So you had, you had great broadcasters on radio and television. And I was, you know, back then, I would scan the dial at night, and my, my home station in, in Hartford, Connecticut was 1080, for Red Sox but I could turn to 1090 and get Orioles games and listen to John Miller and then I'd scan the dial and try to get WJR out of Detroit and listen to Ernie Harwell Mm -hmm. so I I tried to listen to a a lot of different guys and I like to think that maybe I've pulled a little bit from from each guy like sometimes I'll say certain things and I'll be like oh you know Ken Coleman (laughs) used to say that back when I was 12 Mm -hmm. or you know once in a while if a national hits a a really impressive home run I'll say it's long gone which is an Ernie Harwell okay. that was his you know kind of home run call and it's kind of a salute to Ernie so it's kind of a a mix of, of different uh, different announcers growing up um, you know just as far as my, my career path I mean some of the guys I mentioned earlier just just being around those kind of professionals at a young age uh, be it I Eagle mm-hmm. or, or Mike Tirico those guys were were very influential as far as you know baseball play by play I've kind of kind of made my way you know on my own, just because right. I'd had a, you know, a career in in another area doing doing talk shows. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've worked with a lot
0: of great people, and I'd, I'd like to think that I've had a lot of different influences. Is there one thing that you maybe tell um, a younger uh, broadcaster, whether it's ones that come up from one of our minor league affiliates that come up and hang out with us for the day, or um, you know, our friends in Syracuse, Kevin Brown or Jason Benetti, over the years, is if there was one thing to pick out that you would tell them about? this job or this career what what have you told them or what do you t- what would you tell them
1: well I mean my, my piece of advice is that you know networking is the the ultimate mm-hmm. key because pretty much every step every career path every change I've made uh I had an in mm-hmm. except ironically except for this one I didn't know anyone <laughs> with the nationals when I was hired here in 2006 but uh be at the step uh to get to Morgantown from mm-hmm. from college I, I knew someone in the hiring process to get to Charlotte. Uh, someone there helped me, and to get to Boston, someone right. there helped me, and to get to Pawtucket some, so to me, who you know is is in many ways more important than than how you sound or or, or what you can right. bring to the table. so uh, any connection you can make uh, along the way, and i 've always tried to help people uh, you know who 've reached out to me. Uh, you know, can you listen to my stuff? Can you mm-hmm. offer suggestions? Because p- people were there for me, right. so I, I try to return the favor. So uh, net- networking to me to move
0: up in this business is very, very important. Right. Um, so we're here. Uh, this is Thursday night against the Atlanta Braves looking to avoid the the three-game sweep uh, at the hands of the division rival Atlanta Braves. Um, if you weren't doing sitting here with me doing the podcast, um, we'll take that out of the equation for now. But What's a game day like for you in terms of preparation? From when you maybe from when last night's game ends to uh, seven oh five today tonight.
1: Well, the the typical day to day this late in the season it is not is not that taxing because mm-hmm. uh, you know we, we we've seen the Atlanta Braves you know fourteen fifteen right. times already this year. The the hard part for me and I, I pride myself on the amount of preparation mm-hmm. that I do not just on the Nationals but on the other team. I mean to me. Uh, any player that comes into the game, the worst thing you can do as an announcer is say, like, oh, I don't know, or I don't know anything about this guy. So, I mean, you, you see me on the plane, mm-hmm, yep. especially in the first three to four months of the season right. where we're playing these teams for the first time, from takeoff to touchdown, that's when I do right. my work. Uh, you know, so I'm, I basically I create a, a bio on each player on every team that the Nationals play. And so when you when you face a team for the first time in the season, it takes me several hours mm-hmm. before that series ever starts just to, uh, and, and as you play the same teams over and over, it's just a matter of updating one year on the veteran players like right. Freddie Freeman. You, I don't have to do a whole lot of work right. on Freddie Freeman, but on, on Ozzy Albies, when he gets mm-hmm. called up, I've got to do some work to, mm-hmm. to kind of get his background and all that. And Interleague play is a challenge because you don't see a team for three years. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, kind of a story I, I like to tell we were playing the Texas Rangers in 2014 mm-hmm. on the day of the, the Dream Gala, and that day the Nationals won, won big and I think it was Colby Lewis was the starting pitcher. He got bombed in the first two innings, and he was due to bat in the top of the third. And Ron Washington set up a pinch hitter, and it was another starting pitcher. It <laughs> was a guy named Nick Martinez. And, I'm, I'm, and as I'm calling the play-by-play, I'm going, okay. In my mind, I'm saying, well, why is Nick Martinez batting for Colby Lewis? I mean, Lewis was going to come out of right. the game. He didn't want to burn a bench player. And so I, I flipped my, the bio. Nick Martinez was not pitching in the series, yet I had done a <laughs> Nick Martinez bio right. a couple of weeks before. And I had a little note that he played second base in college at Fordham and hit three twenty two. Right. So I mentioned that on the air. Well here's why Ron Washington right. is sending up Nick Martinez because he's a he was a position player in college mm-hmm. and he ended up grinding out to second base. You know, we go on with the broadcast. Someone comes up to me at the gala that night and goes he goes, You did something amazing today. I'm like, Well, what's that? He goes he goes, I'm listening and I'm wondering why Ron Washington is sending up <laughs> another pitcher to hit for a pitcher and you told me. Right. And I said I said, you just made my day. I said oh. because I worked four hours yeah. on on that, uh, on all my preparation mm-hmm. for four seconds right. of radio that probably one person right. Notice. noticed, mm-hmm. and it made it all worth it. Mm-hmm. Because to me, that that preparation is is what can set you apart. So. Uh, that 's a long winded answer to your question about the, the but uh, as far as day to day I mean the real preparation is is in the clubhouse mm-hmm. when the clubhouse opens it, you know talking to players if you have questions about last night 's game mm-hmm. uh, getting around the batting cage and ultimately you wait for the the starting lineup to come out mm-hmm. and it takes me probably you know twenty to thirty minutes to fill in both team' starting lineups with appropriate stats that you might use over the course of the broadcast and and I try to write down you know four or five nuggets of information about each player that's starting because the worst thing that you you know if you're trying to call the game and watch action in the field is have to look something right. up so i try to write down some pertinent information that could be used 90% of it will never get mm-hmm. used but you want to have it at your fingertips if you need
0: it and i was going to mention this later uh in our in our interview but you, you you brought it up the your your preparation on the plane like i said i've i've sat i've sat next to you before i've watched kind of watched you work and um, I always thought it was amazing. You're working on a team. We're not playing for three weeks, or um, <laughs> but w- I guess where did that come from? Did you is that did someone teach you that, or was that something that's changed over the years? What what, what when it has gone into like? That that type of preparation, you
1: know, the, the only th- the only time and, and and Charlie is very similar. Charlie oh, does yeah, a, a similar um, thing. I mean, and and he kind of looks for different things than, than I do. So mm-hmm. that I think that's a good mix. That you know, uh, we're not uh, we're not researching the same mm-hmm. thing. And so he might mu- if he says something and I say it two innings later, we're we're kind of repeating mm-hmm. each other. The first time I ever heard of that was actually Joe Castiglione, who who was the, the Red Sox announcer I listened to growing up. I I heard uh, that. For every and this was back you know kind of pre computer mm-hmm. uh, for every player uh, he he had an index card, and he he would fill that that index card with the pertinent biographical mm-hmm. information that he might need and i 'm like man that's that 's a pretty cool idea so I heard that, mm-hmm. so that that always stuck in my mind, and the other thing is from doing basketball and football uh, when you prepare for for basketball play by play, which was the sport I had done most mm-hmm. before baseball, you know you can kind of plan ahead because. You know what the starting lineup's going to be. You know who the reserves are. So I always, you know, did did bios for both teams, right. and it's easier for basketball because there's only you know ten to twelve players on each team. So mm-hmm. uh, that that's something that I brought from having done a lot of basketball play by play.
0: Now, did anything change for you uh, when earlier this season you were called into duty on Masson um, to fill in for Bob Carpenter for a series down in Miami? Did anything change in your preparation, or did you try to keep everything the same? And then from not just preparation, but your in game um, mm-hmm. work. How, did you compare, how do you compare what you do on the radio to what you had to do those three games on TV? Well, the big preparation was I had
1: to change my wardrobe. I mean, <laughs> I've got my uniform. I've got my, my khaki pants and a, a golf shirt. But that, that wasn't going to fly. So uh, that was a big upgrade on the dress code. But mm-hmm. as far as preparation for the game, I, I did the same thing. But uh, to me, the, the big difference was the calling of the game. I, I, I kind of equated it to, you know, in, in baseball. I mean, it's still baseball. Mm-hmm but it's almost like if, you, if you're if you a right-handed batter and you went up there left-handed. Well, you're still <laughs> batting, but it's just everything's different You're right. coming at it from a different way. So I spent a lot of the time, especially the first few games before I got on the rhythm, worried about what not to say, right. more than what to say. So, I mean, when you've done a couple thousand games on radio, it's just it's so natural. There's a rhythm and there's a flow. <laughs> Where on television, I was really uh, trying to be overly conscious of not saying too much mm-hmm. uh, I'm not falling into – radio play by play, so that that to me was the challenge, and uh, I think the, the chemistry with the the analyst is is very important, mm-hmm. which you know we have on radio too right. trying to, to set up fP you know asking him questions what he 's thinking mm-hmm. what what 's dusty thinking here, and, and try to go over the strategy so um, yeah, th- there were some challenges. There were a couple times where maybe I wanted to ask FP something, and then you've got the producer right. in you're telling you to read a promo, where <laughs> you know, on radio we can do whatever we right. want when we want, whereas more uh, you're, you're a little more of a puppet on a mm-hmm. string when you're in the, in the TV booth. So those are the major differences. But at the end of the day, it, it was still baseball. And it was fortunately, some of the games that the FP and I did together on that road trip were memorable. It was the G.O. near no hit right. in Miami on that emotional night. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Max hits a home run. That was kind of a crazy game in Miami. And then mm-hmm. the great series in Wrigley, capped with a Weeder's Grand Slam right. to win that
0: series. Um, so now that we've clinched the fourth National League East Division title, and we've done it earlier than we ever have, um, what, are, what type of mode are you in right now? Obviously, we have a handful of games left in the season but then again there's also depending on how the other divisions play out there's a handful of teams that we could play in the NLDS. Mm-hmm. So how do you balance preparing for the rest of the regular season games with also knowing that you know we could there's a good chance we play one team but there's also a small chance we play three other teams. Sure. I'd say that I'm trying to you know just focus on the you
1: know actually September is is a challenge because like I was saying earlier mm-hmm. you each team adds you know right, several different players so uh you know on on this I've been working ahead because uh, the Mets have a bunch of call-ups, mm-hmm. and I think on this road trip I'll w- be working on the Pirates because they're probably yeah. going to have a bunch of new guys. So, uh, honestly, I'm not focused yet on on who who the Nationals are going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, with, the, with the benefit of having those four days off, that's mm-hmm. when I'll really right. get knee-deep into it. Mm-hmm. And, and, obviously, we're, we're going to play a team that uh, has, already, has already seen before mm-hmm. uh, on a, in a couple of series, whether that's the Cubs or – or Arizona, or Colorado, whoever mm-hmm. it happens to be. So I, I can't really do any preparation because the the updating that I'm going to do to my files really it all is con- is uh, it hinges on the end of the season. Right. I want to update their stats at the end of That's the season, true. so That's I have true. to wait until the season actually ends. Um, you know, fortunately, actually playing a team like LA, mm-hmm. uh, if if the Nationals are fortunate to face the Dodgers in the in the LCS. Mm-hmm i've done a lot of i mean the dodgers have just had so many roster moves during the year so many new players facing them in september has given me a jump start right. on my preparation if uh, we're fortunate enough to see them later in the
0: year and dusty pretty much said the exact same thing when he was asked today in his media session about um whether they won't if he likes the idea of playing the dodgers so close to the postseason he said the exact same thing from a baseball perspective mm-hmm. um, so it's interesting that you brought that up um when in game um You know when big moments are coming, and you know you can kind of feel the crowd. You do you let the crowd kind of dictate your um, your calls or influence your calls, or are you trying to be the same person? You know, no matter what. Well, I I think you the crowd is is an integral
1: uh, character, if you will, in in the presentation that we're making on Mm -hmm. the radio. Like, you know, to me, the beauty of radio is just the sounds. Like, I I, you know sometimes I I I like to just sit out, Mm -hmm. and you can hear. Um, And and Jack Hicks, our our terrific engineer, is is about the best in the league. You know, we have microphones positioned uh, near the on-deck circles, Mm -hmm. and we call them our bat-crack microphones, and that's where you can hear the real, um, you know, solid crack of the bat. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you'll hear the batter in the on-deck circle knocking the bat weight off. It's just the sounds of the ballpark. And Mm -hmm. and, and to me, in the the big moment, that's when you, you kind of lay out in anticipation of the big pitch. I mean, when you're in the, you know, and the bases are loaded in the seventh inning, it's three and two. I mean, you can set that stage, but you let the crowd mm-hmm. carry that until the pitch is actually delivered, and then you have to go into the mode of describing what's happening and what you're seeing. I, I think the example of that the other day, when uh, when Michael Taylor hit the inside the park grand slam, you know that was a that was an exciting call. You're you're, you're picking up the, the crack of the bat and the ball going over Herrera's head, and then you're you're describing the base runners, <laughs> and you've got you, you know in your mind you are going, this could be an inside yeah. the parker. The moment that ball gets by the outfielder, mm-hmm. and you pick up Taylor rounding third. And when he slides in, you know, I kind of punctuated it with, you know, and it's an inside-the-park grand slam, and then I, I laid out. Mm-hmm. I laid out for like 15 seconds because the crowd was just so Ballistic. so yeah, loud that to me it, it, didn't, it didn't seem uh, worth it to shout over the crowd. Mm-hmm. Let the crowd carry the moment, and then you come in, and, it, you know, it's the first inside-the-park grand slam in Nat's history. It's his 16th home run, and then you give the score. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, the crowd – for the if you're listening and you're driving and you you know when you can
0: hear that crowd that enhances your experience so i like to let the crowd uh carry things so a couple of uh quick hitter random questions to to wrap things up and this is kind of piggybacks off uh, a little bit about you know calling the michael taylor inside the park grand slam the other day um what has been your favorite single moment um that you've made the call for here in your nationals career
1: well uh, Unfortunately, a lot of the great calls I've been in the in the co pilots chair <laughs> right, because right. Uh, I mean, like the ones that come to mind are the the Worth home run, mm-hmm. which was a, a walk off in the ninth inning uh, in Game Four in 2012, mm-hmm. and the and the Zimmerman no hitter. Uh, I mean, that's a favorite right. uh, just because when it, when it left the crack of the bat, mm-hmm. uh, it looked like that no hitter was going to be over, and it was the first one for the Nationals. Mm-hmm. So those were those are really special to be to be a part of. I mean, as far as being at the microphone for something happening. I would say I'll probably cherish Strasburg's debut mm-hmm. because I, I basically got the walk-off there because right, Strasburg the finished inning. seven, yep. seven innings, mm-hmm. and in the sixth and seventh inning, mm-hmm. Strasburg struck out the side in right. both innings. So that it just was a crescendo, and you, you talk about the crowd, right. a crescendo of noise right. from strikeouts 9, 10, and 11 yep. in the sixth inning, 12, 13, and 14 in the seventh inning. So just as far as being at the microphone for the play-by-play, mm-hmm. That has to to be at the top of the
0: list. Okay. So now, other than Nationals Park, uh, what is your favorite booth to call a game from, or your favorite view in baseball? Hmm. Well, probably two different answers
1: to that question. I mean, for for view, uh, I'll take San Francisco mm-hmm. with, with Pittsburgh a close second. And I think if you go around to to broadcasters right. all around the league, those are going to be your your top two. Unfortunately, our view, which is so spectacular, mm-hmm. is starting to be, and it's it's amazing the growth in this neighborhood, right. but I now have a a fifty percent view of the Capitol <laughs> Dome, which yeah. I mean that's always the you know the breath that, you know, f- right. for guests who come up to our booth and mm-hmm. we're as as high we're higher than any perch mm-hmm. in the league. Mm-hmm. the The big benefit to our our uh, our perch was the view of the Capitol Dome. Well, there's a there's a building going up <laughs> and it's it's taken away half of that view. But as far as booths to work in. I tell you the best place to work in the league and you may agree with this is, is Philadelphia. Oh, absolutely. It's, a, it's a great, it's a great booth, the press dining, mm-hmm. Frank with the Turkey, yeah. ice cream. It's just a great ballpark to work in. And our booth here in, in DC is, is tremendous. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's actually, it's more of a, a television size mm-hmm. booth so we can really spread out and, and, uh, and have all of our notes uh, along with us. But, uh, those are, those
0: are a few of the favorite stops, mm-hmm. uh, over the years. And this act, this question came to me the other day when we were talking about the Braves being here in town. Um, what name has given you the most trouble? <laughs> uh, I I, t- I think the hardest name to say in baseball,
1: and I say it very slowly every time, and it's it's a total of nine letters long. <laughs> Seth Smith. Oh yeah, I could see if that. If you try to say Seth Smith fast, <laughs> you can't say Seth Smith fast. You can't. So that one is always. I we always have fun with whenever mm-hmm. we we would see him in the National League, and now he's been with the Orioles. Mm-hmm. I. I always say both names, mm-hmm. and I always say it's. I'm a, there's a fly ball to Seth Smith. <laughs> I always put a, a big space between the Seth and the Smith. Uh, I am happy that Adani Echeverria is no longer in the division because when things happen around the shortstop position, five syllables mm-hmm. aren't good. Yeah. So trying to get Echeverria into a double play when stuff's happening mm-hmm. quickly is tough. Uh, the other thing you've got to be careful of, and it, it happens uh, – is if you if you've got a player who's got a name similar to a player that you used to, to see mm-hmm. and the one guy who's kind of tripped uh, both Charlie and I up I, it may have happened once or twice this year is Zach Davies from Milwaukee we, it's like we want to call him Kyle yeah because there was another pitcher named Kyle Davies mm-hmm. who pitched for a while so uh, those in the you know I'm a I'm a real stickler for names and pronunciations mm-hmm. so I, uh, I I try to be hundred percent on that but I think I may have dropped a Kyle Davies <laughs> once in a while and it's it's totally inadvertent <laughs> for me it's new and Heist.
0: I was was not
1: disappointed well, when he left the division. Well, do you know do you know the origin of Newenheist? Newenhuis was the first name that we ever spelled on the radio and broadcast the with the bell. Yeah, okay, N I E U W E N H U I S. Ding, ding, and so we when we always would spell Newenheis every time we saw him ever, <laughs> uh, ever after. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, if anyone listens to your broadcast, they know that you rely heavily heavily on interns. Mm-hmm. Um, so my big question here, and for anyone that might be listening, is um, are you hiring? And um, who should they send their resumes to? Just Jack directly, or Charlie, or
1: oh yeah, I mean Jack. I mean he's in charge <laughs> of the interns. I mean you've got yeah the travel conditions are bad. You don't you don't you don't get a seat on the plane. You you know if you're lucky you might have to stand. You might have to sit up in the overhead uh, luggage bin. I mm-hmm. mean um, the the conditions are tough. The pay is is negligible, <laughs> but it's a it's a lifetime of experience. And once in a while you get you'll get credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the intern last night came up with a stat, and I I hope you know this won't cost. Scherzer a Cy Young it's kind of a negative stat mm-hmm. but the last three times that Max has left a start with men on base seven runners have been on all seven oh have scored wow. and that has jumped his ERA from 2.23 mm-hmm. to 2.59 wow so that that's a stat the interns came that's up with good work, so that's that, good that work is, by them that is good work uh but again oh, just we, we so long
0: as it doesn't cost you know Maxie it, no eat, I,
1: I, it's such <laughs> it's such a razor thin margin between <laughs> Ian Kershaw <laughs> yeah and I thought of that Last night, when when Max left with the three guys on base, I'm going, oh please don't, mm-hmm. you know, you know, don't don't have these guys score. Right. And sure enough, first pitch, they all scored. But you know what, uh, Max is thinking big picture,
0: and uh, you know he would he would gladly trade a third Cy Young mm-hmm. for a first ring. Absolutely. All right, I'll make sure to post Jack's email address online. <laughs> um, we'll probably tweet it from at Nationals uh, later this afternoon. So, uh, Dave, thanks for joining us today. We know we got a game to get to tonight, so appreciate your time. All right, Kyle, I enjoyed it. Thank thanks. you. And we are back here in the Curly W Live studios at Nationals Park, and with me right now is Mike Carney, the Executive Director of Business Strategy and Analytics in the Consumer Revenue Department of the Washington Nationals. Uh, we'll get to um, what all that means shortly, um, but first, uh, welcome to the podcast, Mike.
2: Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me.
0: And we, we talked about earlier in, I believe it was episode two, when we had Jackie Coleman and Jerome Hushka on, um, we want to get listeners involved with the organization in many, many ways, uh, one of those is learning um, about our front office employees that you know their work, but you may not necessarily know them as a person. So um, really excited here to talk to Mike about his role in the organization. So you're a DC native, uh, went to Northwestern and the University of Chicago. And eventually joined the organization in February of 2015. Um, so I guess a basic question is kind of what drew you to a career in baseball, and specifically with the Nationals?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I've, I've always been interested in baseball. I, I played baseball from a young age. I was I was in the McLean Little League for those of you who are oh, nice. uh, here locally in DC. Um, played through high school at Georgetown Prep, and then through college as well um, on the on the club team in Northwestern. And uh, and always always really loved the business side of sports. I thought it was it was really interesting from the time. Um, you know, obviously Moneyball brought a lot of attention to the baseball side of analytics, and uh, and I always thought that that there was a you know a lot of opportunity within the business side of analytics to uh, you know to really be able to to do a lot of interesting things with, with the growth of analytics and its popularity. Um, you know, within the last you know decade or so.
0: So, can you give listeners a bit of a rundown of your role uh, within the Nationals? Um, you know, maybe about your your role with the team store, uh, the authentication process.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, my role is as the head of business strategy and analytics here at the Nats. Um, you know, it's it's many things, but but royal really boils down to um, you know just a couple things. One is one is around uh, strategic projects and and initiatives that are key to the organization's success, um, and secondly, just making sure that. You know, we are, we are optimizing all of our, um, you know, fan experience initiatives and making sure that the areas in which we are growing are, are the right areas to grow in. And, and so, as you mentioned, the team store was, was one opportunity that we saw, um, you know, in 2015, you know, we, we, were, we were currently working under a, a concessionary arrangement with a third party and, and saw a lot of opportunity to, uh, to take it back and, and make it more Nats, uh, make it more fan-centric, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is really core to what we do. Being sure that what we're delivering is is what our fans want, and uh, and now we are a, a fully self operated retail environment. Um, reports into me, and and uh, the the team is great. We have we have a, you know a, a pretty wide team that is is all about the Nationals brand. The products that we bring in are, are all hand selected by Nationals employees. Um, so hopefully the uh, what you see in the team store is is what you like <laughs> to see and. And, uh, and, and come postseason, we now have, have postseason merchandise and, right. and uh, all-star game merchandise as well. So excited about that.
0: Is it common um, within sports or baseball specifically to be team-run the way we are?
2: In, in baseball, it, it's still a relatively small number of teams. Hmm. It's about five or six teams that self-operate. Um, the rest still outsource. Um and, and I, it's it's the teams that really emphasize the brand and emphasize um, the fan experience are are the ones who um, who self since That's you know that's what it can deliver to. Um, but within the other leagues, it's it's actually a little bit more common. Okay.
0: Uh, now another part of your role is the authentication process, and I think fans might know a little bit about authentication. They see the holograms on scorecards or baseballs or jerseys. Um, could you give us a little bit of rundown? Uh, you know, very quick rundown of that process you know ball gets thrown off the field they see it thrown to a, an authenticator um you know kind of what happens next
2: yeah yeah it's, it's a it's a really unique business and and especially one that's that's unique to baseball in the sense that you know if, if you're watching on Masson and, and you see the catcher toss the ball to the side right. um we have an authenticator that sits in the dugout and and we'll place that sticker immediately every every item that's thrown to the side um is individually authenticated mm-hmm. And even though some of them we sell, some of them we don't. Mm-hmm. So some are for national museum if it's a, a milestone. Right. Some of it's you know if it's a major league baseball player's first hit, right. like last weekend when Victor Robles had his had his first mm-hmm. hit. You know that ball is spe- is still authenticated under the same process. Mm-hmm. Um, but then obviously that goes to Victor. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you know so it's it's really unique to our you know to to uh, baseball and, and sports in general. Um, but uh, but we have you know it, it's 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 unique also in the sense that. You know, some of the items are very special to people, right. and so it requires a, a special care um, to make sure that those items, uh, you know, are, are represented the way they should be.
0: And that's that's the best way for a fan to know that they're getting a legitimate game use product right just to make sure they see the the hologram sticker and, and the authentication uh, proof i guess yeah, you yeah
2: I- exactly it's it's you know it'd be way too easy to counterfeit right. this kind of thing and, and say that oh well this was the ball that bryce harper threw to me in the outfield <laughs> um so so yeah so it's uh, everyone you can you can check the hologram you can mm-hmm. actually go to mlb.com slash authentication right. type in the hologram number and it will tell you exactly what happened on wow. that pitch <laughs> so uh yeah it's pretty cool
0: um so you, you mentioned it early um in the interview but um in sports right now, there's a constant debate, uh, in baseball in particular, about the role of analytics um, and its value relative to scouting. This is from a baseball um, perspective. Um, so your title literally contains the word analytics. Um, so could you dive into a little bit uh, what role analytics play in what, for what you do within, within the organization?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's been, it's amazing, but it's been about 15 years mm-hmm. now you know, 15 or 20 years since it was, it was made popular on the baseball side, you know, with the A's that, that I think many people are familiar with by right. now. Um, but as I mentioned, it was, it was relatively slow to transition into the business side of sports. Um, and, and really through Valerie's leadership here within the Nats, um, it's, it's taken on a, a much greater emphasis um, so that the decisions we make here are, are data-driven decisions. <laughs> and, um, you know, whether that be hearing directly from our fans or, you know, purchasing, uh, purchasing trends and things like that to make sure that that what we are developing and what we are investing in here at the Nats um, are worthwhile investments mm-hmm. and, and things that the fans want. And and before that, you know, you know, it was a relatively unsophisticated business where, you know, there would be, you know, guys who've been around for a long time mm-hmm. and certainly had a lot of experience. Um, but really what's new to this now is that the data that has proliferated so greatly on the baseball side mm-hmm. is now proliferating greatly on the business side. Okay just like they are with many technology companies where, you know, you know, interactions are, you know, with the app, with the app and, and with uh, our our website Mm -hmm. and things like that. There's, there's a a much greater intelligence that goes behind that now than there has been in the past.
0: And one of those, uh, one of the means to drive that information to fans is through the ballpark app, correct? Exactly. Um, What, what is that? What can you talk about the role of that app over the last couple of years, at least during your time with the nationals and how that's helped the fans have a better experience and how it's, Allowed us to get a little bit more information about them,
2: yeah. And, and we've been able to leverage the experience of Major League Baseball mm-hmm. in this and uh, in the Advanced Media Group. Um, you know, they've been they've been core to you know to helping you know guide the development of the app. You know, where we stand as the Nationals, it's our job to make sure that what's in the Nationals app mm-hmm. is is delivering to what our fans want. Right. Uh, because what our fans want is going to be different than you know another Major League mm-hmm. Baseball team's uh, fans want. Um, and so you know, we we've developed some custom applications and support with the league. Um, You know including you know a a racing president's game obviously that's specific to us um that's just one example but we're we're trying to find new ways with the league um especially in light of of the new um apple conference that just went Mm -hmm. went out last week um augmented reality is right. a, a huge emphasis right now f- for Apple, and then mm. in turn with the league as well. Okay, And that goes on the baseball side as well as the business side. Right. So on the, on the baseball side, you're going to start seeing things like um, having – if you hold your, your camera up to the field.
0: Right, and you can see their stats. You'll
2: see their stats. You'll see who's on base. Mm-hmm. You'll, you know, you'll see all those cool things, how fast Trey Turner's running right. from home to third, You know whatever it might be. You're going to start seeing the same thing on the business mm. side where you know maybe you go around the park and you hold up your phone to a, a static image mm. and all of a sudden – uh, Matt Weeders comes out and, and gives you a, a customized message um, <laughs> wow. and maybe even a customized offer that mm-hmm. comes from that. And and we should have the intelligence to know that the offer that we give you guys is is the one that, that our fans want to mm-hmm. see. So th- this is where, you know, that takes a really deep level of analytics right. um, to be able to get down to knowing each one of our fans individually right. and not just even knowing, even just a couple of years ago, it was just knowing fans at the segment mm-hmm. level. Right. You know, you're a family or, you, you know, you're you're a a young newlywed couple Mm -hmm. or you know you're a young child or whatever it is you know now there's a much greater level of intelligence and expectations that the fans have that you should know me exactly who i am exactly
0: so this will be your um second postseason with us um what did you learn about your experience in the first postseason last year 2016 um that you think will help you and your team moving forward uh this season or this postseason
2: yeah you know you mentioned the team store earlier Mm -hmm. i think i think the team store is the best example here um you know, specifically that, you know, there is a, it, it's, it's kind of a, you know, moving, moving target, mm-hmm. if you will, right. um, with retail in the sense that, uh, you know, fortunately this year we clinched really early on, um, <laughs> right. which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, really looking forward to the postseason. Mm-hmm. Um, not every team has, has that, uh, that opportunity, of course. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, how, how can we plan out to make sure that we have all of the latest postseason mm-hmm. product, a wide assortment of postseason product available for our fans mm. the second the last right. out is made on clinch day um so we did this year so mm-hmm. you know last year you know we we didn't really know you know we're, it's our first year running retail right. as a as a nationals right. operation um you know we didn't really know you know what do you order what skews you order mm-hmm. how, how much do you have um you know you know when, when can you have it right. available how do you get it out to the floor you know all these questions <laughs> were things right. that of course we leveraged our other teams as you know as as like sounding boards and yeah mm-hmm. But, uh, but now, I mean, hoping we have a deeper postseason right. run, um, this is, a, you know, a, a there's a new goal mm-hmm. every few days, essentially, right? right? So if we get through the, AL, the NLDS, then we get to the NLCS. We got to make sure that mm-hmm. we have NLCS product available at the time we clinch the, right. the DS, for example, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth to reach each series. So, you know, we, we put some analytics behind that and, and we have a strategy on mm-hmm. how much we have to make sure that, you know, we're, we're not putting ourselves too much at risk, mm-hmm. but making sure that we always have, have enough product to be able to deliver for our fans.
0: And is there a lot of coordination between us as a team and the league in terms of product uh, distribution, designs, things like that?
2: Th- there is. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, specifically that, you know, we, we contract with local, mm-hmm. uh, local T-shirt manufacturers around here to make sure that, um, you know, they can deliver to, you know, re- really quick turn, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is what our fans demand at this point. So um, we've got local facilities all throughout mm-hmm. D.C., and uh, and and as soon as anything happens, we can have product here now. It's amazing to say, but we can have product here in sometimes as short as twelve hours wow. um, from when a certain event occurs.
0: That's, that's that's really amazing to think about. As fans and, and people that don't see the side of the business, you see a T-shirt hanging in the team store, or one of the players wearing it instantly after we clinch a, a division or, or hopefully going to the next round. That the, the amount of work that goes into getting that shirt on his back is pretty. It's pretty amazing, and, and um, I don't think it's something fans often think about
2: yeah but it does give a, a little special right. lens to when you see the players celebrating right. the clubhouse, wearing your like, stuff all right there it is <laughs> yeah <laughs> um
0: so one last thing like i said we, we talked about authentics a little bit and like i said i think fans are are intrigued by that that concept um in your time kind of heading up the authentication process what's would you say is like the coolest item that you've authenticated or that you've come across over the years
2: oh, that's a good question <laughs> um i i think uh a great example is is a relatively recent example where, um, you know, it was, it was, a great ceremony just a few weeks back, uh, with Tim Raines and Pudge Rodriguez coming back to the ballpark. And, um, and, you know, we want to do something special for those events, right. you know, above and beyond all the other special events that we had. And, uh, and so we actually, we went into our, our memorabilia, um, warehouse to, to see, you know, what items, you know, are still, are, are still available. And, um, it turns out we had, you know, we had a few really special Pudge Rodriguez items, Oh, wow. and uh including you know an autographed jersey that was authenticated um and, and a few other items bats and and so on um and so it was it was a great opportunity for us to be able to uh you know put that on display for right. our fans and and uh you know that's the beauty of it is, is we've got such a rich history now already mm-hmm. as, as a relatively new team right um that now we've got you know as we've got a, a ton of great memorabilia right. from our um from our seasons past and and you know a lot of it obviously we keep for for uh you know for you know museum purposes mm-hmm. and others but but uh you know the hope is that we're gonna we're gonna carry this on so we've, right. we've uh, as we continue to grow we're gonna keep having a you know a lot of good memorabilia on hand
0: that's great well uh mike i you know we're all busy getting ready for the postseason and then those last final last days of this homestand so i appreciate your time and uh, talk to you soon
2: yeah absolutely thanks kyle mm-hmm. go nats yeah
0: <laughs> thanks again to dave and mike for joining us on episode seven of the curly w live podcast both these guys joined us on game days, uh, which can be very busy days around Nationals Park, so it was great that they were able to carve out a few minutes to come and hang out with us. Like we always say, we want your feedback, so feel free to tweet at me, at Kyle Brostowitz or at Nationals, and feel free to leave comments on Curly W Live. You can always find the podcast on our blog, which is Curly W Live, CurlyW.mlblogs.com, Nationals.com slash podcasts, and on iTunes. Be sure to subscribe to the blog as well as to the podcast on iTunes so you don't miss out on anything. And through the blog and through iTunes, you can go back and listen to old episodes. And So the Nationals are kicking off the final road trip of the regular season this week. They will go to Atlanta and then on to New York this weekend and then to Philadelphia before returning to Nationals Park on September 28th. Uh, Be sure to get your tickets to the final homestand of the regular season, which will run September 28th through October 1st against the Pittsburgh Pirates. And there will be a lot of fun promotions and events packed into those four days, uh, including the annual Jerseys Off Their Backs raffle, which will take place on October 1st, which is the final home game of the regular season. All proceeds from the Jerseys Off Their Back raffle benefit charitable initiatives of the Nationals Dream Foundation. So visit nationals.com dream for more information. Once again, Nationals fans, thanks for checking out the podcast and we will see you next time on the Curly W Live podcast.